Good morning. been joining Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount, and what we've established by way of context is that all heaven has been breaking loose in Israel. Uh, crowds of severely ill, gravely ill people have limped, hobbled, and been carried to see Jesus. They've come from as far as a hundred miles away, and it's as a sea of human suffering is breaking in upon him and is returning whole and sound. And in the wake of putting illness and grief to flight on a large scale, he pauses that and draws his followers to himself, those who have accompanied him on this healing mission. He sits them down. They think that this might be the place, close to the place, by the Sea of Galilee on what is called the Mount of Beatitudes. And he tells them who receives the applause of heaven. It's not who we would expect. Every culture fills in the blank with the idea of who the blessed are. As we've talked about that, how would America fill in the blank? Blessed are the... And we would say the young, the athletically gifted, the successful, the bald. <laughs> the wealthy, powerful... The dark-skinned, the influential, the attractive. Jesus fills in the blanks, and this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Talk about meekness. If you owned land... In the time that Jesus lived, you had position, influence, and a voice. You had collateral. You had a means of security. You could leverage that land to live in relative comfort. Uh, if you didn't own land, you could be victimized by those who did. This is the image of meekness. From, from a secular perspective, meekness is the person without the influence and protection that came from owning land, the ones with power were able to extend their fortunes and expand their holdings. They were able to make justice swing in their direction without the resources to fight back against those who were seeking to enlarge their empire. You were vulnerable indeed. These are the meek. The meek are the defenseless, those without rights, the oppressed, those who are cheated, exploited, and cursed. Another word for meekness is gentleness. The Greek word translated as meekness is translated as gentleness as well. They're the same concept in a way. Um, as Jesus is thinking about meekness or gentleness, it's almost a certainty that he's thinking of Psalm 37. The Psalms are the songs of Judaism. They were originally put to music. And as Jesus thinks of meekness, the theme of Psalm 37 is those who will inherit the land, it gives some characteristics of those who do so. Look what it says in Psalm 37. I'll read verses 7 through 11. It's in your worship folder. It says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. 
do not fret. It is only the evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. I think this adds to our definition of meekness and gentleness. And what it says in the psalm, it gives some characteristics. It's those who are still before the Lord. They're the meek. Those who wait patiently for him. Those are the meek. Those who do not fret when men succeed in their way, those are the meek. Those who refrain from anger and turn from wrath, they are the meek. These are the meek and gentle. And these are the ones who will inherit the land. These are the ones who will enjoy great peace. Notice, if meekness or gentleness is on one side of the seesaw, notice on what's on the other side of the seesaw. The poor in spirit on one side, on the other side would be the rich, the wealthy. You'd think that those without land would be opposed by those with land, those who were wealthy, but that's not what it indicates. On the other side are not the rich, but the evil. The poor are contrasted with the wealthy, but the meek and gentle are contrasted with the evil because in that culture, the evil exploit the meek. That's the image. They have the ability to do so. They can leverage their sense of social, material, and spiritual, whatever resources they have, to be able to turn things in their direction. And those without those resources are vulnerable and prey. That's why it. the opposites are the meek, who are exploited, and the evil who exploit them. They have the means to enforce their, their will. So what it, see, what it indicates here is God is the God of those without rights. God is the God of those without rights. He is the God of the oppressed. He is the God of the victimized. He is the God of the exploited. Um, scan the prophets, and you will find God regularly taking the cause of the oppressed and speaking out against the leaders who don't protect their charges, but who prey upon their charges. In the Minor Prophets, that's what you see. God coming to terms with shepherds who should be shepherds. They should be caring for the flock, but they are not feeding the flock. They're feeding off of the flock. They're not praying for the flock. They're praying on the flock and using them to pad a comfortable lifestyle. Why? Why? Because they can. They're not the meek. They have the land. They have the property. They have the influence. God is, is the God of those without. God hears and comforts those who find no mercy among their fellow men. And he will finally reverse all that is not now in their favor. What we know, God will switch the price tags. He will switch the price tags. Uh, Jesus indicates that in his kingdom, those who are unable to leverage their position and obtain what they want, these are the ones who will have influence and a lasting inheritance in his kingdom. Think about the portrait of meekness then, the portrait of meekness. We'll talk about some of the individuals who were meek, and we'll look at them a little bit. Then J.C. will come, and he'll talk about what the path 
to meekness is. Meekness or gentleness seems to be the defining quality when it comes to spiritual influence. If you want to have the kind of spiritual influence that reflects the way God does things, gentleness, meekness is, and I'm using my words carefully, apparently, the defining characteristic. Um, It makes sense that in speaking of meekness, Jesus would highlight this with his disciples. These are the ones, again, he's not gathering those who have been healed, but those who have accompanied him. They want to be his protégés. They want to be his disciples. They want to learn how to have a spiritual influence in the lives of other people. Those are the ones Jesus gathers. And he gives them some of the values that will allow them to have the impact that God would want them to have as Father. And so he says, blessed are those who are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The biblical ranks of the meek are a distinguished group indeed. Moses and Jesus, arguably, the most enduring, certainly, the most effective and of those Jesuses, but both of them had their impact, uh, were known specifically for being meek and gentle. Being meek, the best in the Bible, were known for their meekness and their gentleness. Uh, For this reason, I think we can make a strong case that gentleness or meekness is, I'm using my words carefully, the defining quality in spiritual influence. Therefore, you want to be usable? You want to be usable? When we talk about being used by God, do you want to be usable? It seems like the path to being usable is the path to gentleness and meekness. Uh, think about Moses, what it says. Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard them. Now Moses was a very humble man. The word humble means it's the same Hebrew word can be meek, gentle, humble. It's the it's that picture. And in some version it says more meek. He was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Cush is a region region south of Ethiopia. So what we think is, JC, you'd like to hear this, Moses married a black woman. Moses' brother and sister criticized him for doing doing so. We don't know why. Maybe it's because she's black. Maybe it's because she is not. Maybe it's because she's a non-Jew. We don't know. But but here's what happens. God intervenes. Could could we be quiet up front? (laughs) This is not one of those kind of churches where, hey, man, say it, preacher. Uh, so Miriam says, uh, time out. You know, Moses, you're all off base. You married this Cushite woman. And, uh, and you know what's interesting in the text? We don't hear anything from Moses. Nothing. The next person to speak is a description about Moses, and then God speaks. God speaks. You know what we're going to see about meekness and gentleness? The cardinal 
quality in that is that you don't defend yourself. You let God be your defender. Moses doesn't say anything. He doesn't call attention to what he did. He doesn't trash talk Miriam or Aaron. He doesn't say anything. But as we'll see, meekness is not being a doormat. He's not saying anything because meekness looks to God to balance the scales. So he'll appeal his case and say, God, you're going to have to listen to this. Um, and you know what ends up happening? Why, the reason why it might be racial, it might be racial. Miriam says, Moses, you married a black woman. And then what God did, he turned Miriam leprous. White as snow. That's what it says biblically. Scripture literally turned her white as snow. You want white? You got white. Leprous white. Um, so much for a biblical case um, against interracial marriage. Just isn't there. Isn't there. Again, this seems precisely to be one of the issues for which God rebukes Miriam and Aaron. At any rate, the main lesson as we think about meekness is what this passage does not say. And what it does not say is anything from Moses. Nothing about him. Do you know where I came from? Do you know what I... He doesn't defend himself, doesn't... He doesn't take out his credentials. Doesn't talk how smart he is. Doesn't talk about how much leadership experience he's had. He doesn't say, how dare you question me? Don't you know who I am? You want a piece of me? He doesn't do, he doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't say anything. And then God's turn. The one who defends himself has himself for his defense. He had God for his defense, and um, this is what Moses experiences. And in Moses' case, vindication is on this side of the grave. He gets justice and can see it. He can see the color of Miriam's skin. <laughs> That's not always the case. The one who is the most gentle person in terms of the God-man, the most gentle individual, the most meek individual to ever walk the planet was Jesus Christ. Clear. And in fact, well, let me ask you a question. If I gave you two words, describe yourself in two words. Think about what you'd say. Two words. Don't tell me. Just, just think about it. If you had to write it down on a piece of paper, I want everybody, you're not going to have to tell anybody. Write, write, you think about yourself in two words. You know how Jesus answered this? And think about what he could have said. Powerful. Divine. Right. True. You know what he said? Well, you know the passage. I am gentle. And you know what that word is? Meek. Gentle and humble in heart. Jesus' two-word characterization of himself are gentle and humble. You know the deal with the Bible? Is that there's a lot of space between the black and white on the page. We read a lot of things into communication. That's why emails don't work very well sometimes. If you want to communicate emotion, intonation, gestures, all these things are very important. You know why there's so many interpretations of the Bible? Because we read so much into it. 
It's like an email. You can read anger or happiness into an email, but if you can't see the face, you don't know the gestures, you can plug in any one or two things, and it can be the same words, but you can come away with a completely different message. Would you agree? It's the same thing biblically. You know, you read between the lines. What is the emotion here? And Jesus gives us a, well, he doesn't, he doesn't guess. He tells us we're told what Jesus was like. He was gentle and humble in heart, not quick to come to his own defense. He would be assertive, but not in order to defend himself necessarily, in order to defend the flock. Jesus would lay down his life for the sheep, not because he was, because he trusted God to balance the scales and leveraged that trust to serve people. He wasn't so busy defending himself that he was able to give his life for others. What was Jesus' uh, meekness? It wasn't, Jesus wasn't weak. He never cowered. You know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child, and Jesus could do that. But, but just, if you notice, there's a, there's a um, Rottweiler, a very gentle dog, has a head about this big, though. And if that dog was angry, holy smokes. But he's so gentle. He walks around. He, and and that's, if, if that dog was wrong, that's the picture of gentleness. Gentleness is power under control. If that dog was in a fight, I wouldn't want to be the other dog. But if you are not a threat to this dog, the dog is very gentle. That's what Jesus was like. That's a gentleness, power under control. And Jesus reflected this gentleness in that he didn't retaliate, made no threats. Look what it says. When they hurled their insults at him, can you believe this? He did not retaliate. He didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Just so you know, that's not nothing. It looked like nothing. Somebody said, Jake, Jake! And he didn't say, who? But he didn't do nothing. What it says? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And this is what Jesus did. He took note. He heard things. They stung. But he didn't retaliate. He didn't try to balance the scales. He didn't try to make himself look big the way we all want to. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Or we try to make the other person look small. Who do you think you are? We do this to retaliate, to balance the scales. If you put me down, I'll put me up. Or I'll put you down. And why am I doing that? In order to balance the scales. And we do that. And the reason why we do that is that we have something to learn about meekness and gentleness. That's what it is. Um, active trusting of God to balance the scales, to render justice in his time frame. Because Jesus appealed his case to his father, he could leave justice in his hands. He appealed his case to the father, and he didn't have to grumble against somebody. Did you? you, you didn't need to puff himself up. Why? That's with gentleness. When we threaten others, we do so in order to get even. We do so in order to balance the scale. We balance them ourselves. 
Jesus didn't balance the scales himself. He trusted God to balance the scales. Who is putting you down? At work, at home? Who's putting you down? We all have those individuals. Who are you putting down? Who do you speak against? Who do you complain about? You know why we do that? We're balancing the scales. You make me feel less than, I'll make me feel more than. And I'll tell you about what you should do to laud me and exalt me. I'll puff myself up or I'll put you down. Why do we do that? Balance the scales. Jesus trusted God to balance the scales. He entrusted himself to God with the tough-minded faith that God judges justly. Do you know why Peter would have noticed this? This is Peter talking. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Anybody understand why Peter would have noticed this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what they're doing? And in the end of um, first, it's Luke 22, they're talking together. The disciples, Jesus said, I'm about to die. And so the disciples, they're talking, so we, you know, they're just they're all too human. They start arguing about among themselves about which of them is the greatest. No joke. That's what it says. That's what it says. So Jesus says, I'm going to die. And then Matthew said, you know, I think I'm going to be the top dog. <laughs> no, you know, I've got it. I've got it down. So, you know, they're having, they're doing this trash talk. You, know, you want a piece of me? And, um, and then Jesus says to Peter, Satan has obtained permission to sift you like wheat. You're going to go through it. And in the context of that conversation, how would Peter have felt? They're talking about which of them is the greatest. They're having an argument. Everybody's laying claim. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan has obtained permission to sift you as wheat. But I pray for you that your faith may not fail, and when you recover, strengthen your brothers. And Peter's response is, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. What is he doing? He feels like he'd been put down. And he has to defend himself. He has to raise himself up. And that very night, you know what happened? Um, Peter is posturing. When we are gentle, and again, it's all something we struggle, but it is the cardinal virtue in spiritual influence, the virtue, um, not to defend yourself and not to prosecute others. It's not that this is not necessary sometimes. People do things, and accountability needs to be leveraged. It's just not on your job description. It's not your job. It's his. And the meek and the gentle are those who will allow him to do his job, which is to balance the scales. Um, spiritual influence requires that we neither defend ourselves nor persecute others, that we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. How the heck do we do that? JC, come on up.
picture. Let me read a passage to you that uh, I think is important to this sort of how piece. Um, Romans or uh, Philippians 4, 5 through 7. And just contextually, Paul's writing this from a pit. He's not writing it from, I'm standing on the pinnacle of faith and they're glorifying me for the way I reflected Jesus. Right now he's sitting in pen, in the pen, doing hard times, being watched. He has a guard attached to him. And they're watching him. He's doing hard times. And then he writes this crazy stuff, this crazy letter to the Philippians. And what he says in, in the, nearing the end of the, ch- the book, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I got a question for you. When we're talking about the how, what are we called in the face of adversity or in the face of challenge? Are we called to reflect? I'm going to give you two choices. I want to see this one. I'm not going to do a Michael or JC where you could do it quietly. I want you to raise your hand. Are we called to reflect moral flawlessness or merciful gentleness? What are Christians, what's supposed to be the hallmarks of Christianity? When people talk about believers, are we, or what, we're, what are we supposed to show? Moral flawlessness or merciful gentleness? Moral flawlessness, hands up. Merciful gentleness, hands up. Okay. So that's the accurate. So what what Paul's saying is, if you're going to let your walk speak, let your walk speak in the gentleness of Christ. Now, he just, he's saying that in the context of prison and hard times. He's saying that after being flogged. He's saying that with the guard watching him, talking stuff to him. But he's also saying it because they allow him a guy who can, they they write together. And he can at least try to encourage from the prison. Hey, fellas, I'm here, but I'm still in it. So the first thing I want to say is the path is tough because our call is in the face of criticism and persecution, and whether that be internal or external. Our call is gentle, forbearing, meekness. How do we do that? Well, the first thing Paul says is, Paul always does this. He sets the standard, then he says how. He cautions, it says the Lord's near, because that was a frame that they, we always tend to think about. Is God coming? Is he, does he hear us? But what he says in the next, in verse 6, is really important. My second idea is this notion of anxious. Anxious, I want you to think about this. Anxious 
has the notion of this. He says, do not be anxious for about anything. Now, ang- the word there has a picture. I want you to think about this. I'm turning my back. Notice, Jonathan, I have not moved. I'm doing good today. I'm turning my back. I'm bending my legs. I'm making an ugly face because on my back is not a load. It's a burden. Now, understand the difference. A load is something I can handle by myself. Backpack, computer, some books. A burden is crippling. And I might try to walk up the mountain with the burden, but the burden is not meant for me to carry by myself. Here's the problem. The pathway to gentleness means when I have to know the difference between a load and a burden. And if I have a burden, I have to be able to do something that some of us can't do. Can I have some? <laughs> I need a little. <laughs> Would you, uh, <laughs> could you, <laughs> somebody says to you, Jay, you need help with the load on your back. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> That's the problem. Right, Randy? Right, Mr. Larry? I can't say, could you, <laughs> it won't come out. <laughs> it won't come out. I told you that story of me in 63 Chevy. Woo, 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 rocking in the snow. The dude says, do you need some help? I roll down my window. Roll down my window. That's how old the car is. I'm rolling down my window, and I say, I got this. As I swoop into four feet of snow, I push the door open and step into a foot and a half of mud. What did I think I was doing? I had a burden that I could not carry. And my tendency is when I'm anxious, which is, Carrying a burden and believing I'm alone. Carrying a burden and believing I'm alone. And when I'm alone, I don't talk to anybody. I, so, so the notion, don't be anxious, isn't don't be afraid, don't be sad. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't be anxious because you're not alone. Right? Even when the Christians scatter, you're not alone. Jesus goes to the cross. He's standing. The first scourging had occurred. He's standing before the, the before the king, and the king's saying, "Do you know who I am? You got so you should have something to say." Jesus quietly says, "Do really, <laughs> really? Hey, I'm standing here with only about a, a quarter of blood, and you really talking to me about what you who you are?" You, don't you know who I am? He didn't do that. He just. The only thing he said is if the Father hadn't granted you power to do what you're doing, you couldn't do what you're doing, dude. I'm good. My Father got me. Anxious. Understand the difference between a burden and a load. Some of us have a difficult time with that. Now, sometimes that's. Work, you know, I asked the fellows last August to help me roof, and I told Randy, you got to get a crew to help me roof because I'm not climbing up there, dude. And I I know this church, so I knew that wasn't going to be a problem because I can do my piece, what I do from the ground. 
But before, 10 years before that, I wouldn't have asked him to help because I would have been embarrassed about not being able to get up on the roof. I said to him, I'm scared of heights. He said, I got you, dude. We got about 40 people to climb on the roof. Don't worry about it. And, and most of you are in this room. Okay, I could ask for help and they were gentle with me. Interesting. So what's implied is the next thing. He doesn't put that in the order for no reason. So we read. But in everything, what's he say? Read it with me out loud. But in everything by and with present to let's do that again in everything by with present that's what he says prayer general hey god love you what's up blah blah blah, blah. petition or supplication specific Oh, my God, they're killing me here. Do you hear what I'm saying? Can you hear me, dude? Because I'm needing a request. I'm at seminary, my first year of seminary. I'm about to get engaged to my wife-to-be. I'm in South Dakota for a reason. Because they told my wife if she marries me, she's out of the family. I got to get to a living. I got to make a living. I come up here. I come up to Sioux Falls, two states away from Kansas, and after school, we're getting letters to the president saying, how can you have that dude at your school? Do you know what he's doing? He's not following some, who is the dude, this, the, the submit to your father dude, who, who was that dude, that presented all that stuff. There was, a, there was a rule that me and Lori wasn't following according to not, not Heibel, but like some church dude. So they were sending letters to the school. And the president was they got another letter. From people who don't even know me. I'm at seminary. They say, how can you have this dude at the seminary? Do you understand he's not honoring his Honoring his girlfriend's father. So what do I do? Now here's the problem. I got nothing. I got nothing. I got no money. I got no position. I'm at seminary. At a Baptist seminary where I have no connections. My tendency is to handle things. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to write them suckers back and put them in their place. That's not what I do. If you were to watch me, I'm up at 2 o'clock at night walking around the campus in the first South Dakota winter when, when it snowed on, on, East, on um, Halloween, 40,000 feet of snow. <laughs> and it was colder than I'd ever been in my whole life. I called my grandma and said, I don't know where I'm at. This South Dakota's a trip because, man, my car done froze up. I can't drive it. I don't know what's wrong. Turns out the radiator was frozen. 
That's how cold it was. I told my grandmother on Christmas, do you understand I'm in Worthington, Minnesota, and it's 108 below wind chill? The radio dude saying, please don't go outside because everything will freeze. I'm like, whatever, dude. We went outside just from here to that wall. I walked to the car, and the snot in my nose froze up. I'm like, South, what the, South Dakota, what are we doing? Minnesota? We might as well be Alaska or something. I'm walking at night in that, talking to God. Now, I cannot tell you what I was saying because it was a very specific supplication with expletives. And sometimes it wasn't, please, God, would you? It was, I'm cursing at God on behalf of my accusers. I'm like, you know what, though? <laughs> God, if you don't, <laughs> I'm talking to him for the first time in my life. Now, here's the problem. I didn't get this. Jeez, I got you, dude. Don't worry about it. What I got was weird. So Paul says, by prayer and petition. Now, with thanksgiving, I read this until last night. This is the first time I've, re- I've got it clear. Because for me, I always try to figure out, okay, so is Paul talking about I'm supposed to be saying to these people? Thank you, Jesus, for the s- uh, racial assaults on my soul. May I? May I represent you with strength and courage? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Did Jesus say that? Hit me one more time with the scourge, pull more flesh off my back so I can smile for Jesus, for, for the Father. He didn't say that. I don't think he was saying that. I don't think Thanksgiving is that. I figured it out. Here's what Thanksgiving is. Prayer and petition with Thanksgiving is the context from the past. Let me ask you this question. Has God ever come through for you? If if God's come through for you at least three times since you've been a Christian, raise your hand. Do you remember Thanksgiving? That's That's what the context is. It's not Christian denial of the reality of what's going on right now. It's the Christian hanging on to. You know what, God? I hate this place, but I remember like two years ago, you came through for me, man, but not the way I thought it was. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang in there because I know you, you came through last time. Right? I show up my second year with my wife to seminary, and I go to the registrar's office and say, I ain't got no money to pay for the rent. And, the, and the, the register looks at me puzzled. She says, what you talking about? Your rent's paid for three months. I'm like, what? How did that happen? I go back to my hallway, Dirksen, and I'll say one of my friends, hey, man, uh, you know anything about my rent being? It was two months. Getting paid for two months. My friend smiled and said, you're a newlywed, right? I said, yeah. He said, you ain't got no money, right? I said, right. He said, so your rent's paid. What you complaining about? I said, I want to know who did it. He said, don't worry about that. We got you. Now, what I found out later was anytime something like that came up, 
this basket would pass, pass in the hallway, and it would say, could you give money to this? Could you give, he needs a new muffler, blah, 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 blah. And I figured it out. They must have passed the basket before I got there. It said, J.C. got to pay rent. And he come with his wife. And he did Christian ministry in the na- national parks, which means he got zero money to come back. I said, I, I got to remember that. If you said three times, you got some memories that you can thanksgive about. It's not, <laughs> I'm suffering. It's good. Jesus, just keep beating me. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. With thanksgiving means, oh, man, I'm getting the crap beat out of me right now, Lord. But, I, but I'm trying to hold on to. Remember the Mike and me and uh, Mark talked about remaining. And Randy, remaining. You know what? I want to remain, though. So the way I remain is I got to remember when you did. Okay, yeah, last time. Okay, a year ago, you I was in a spot. You came through. I'm holding on. And the way you came through, I don't know how you coming through, but you're going to come through for me again. I'll finish up. Let your request be known. Present. So I'm going to say this. Meekness comes through talking to the Father. Meekness comes through saying my inside stuff out. Meekness comes through the word H-E-L-P. Can I get some help? And meekness comes through saying it like Dave David was in the cave one time and he said to God some crazy stuff. Like, look, dude, you need to throw the boat down, drop the stone on them dude's neck and kill him for me, man. I'm telling you. Because he's saying what he thinks on his heart. Now, what God did is what God did. But he has the capacity to petition. I'm going to add a condition. Anxious also has to do with speaking to my brothers and sisters in the faith. Hey, man. Hey, Larry, I, I messed up, man. Me and my wife was doing this. I tripped out. Here's what happened. I messed up, dude. I need your support. See, because I'm one of them kind of dudes, I'm task-oriented, but I'm not people-driven. So I think I'm doing good when I say, hey, God, hey, check it out. I'm talking to you, man. And he says, no, you need to talk to Randy. Nah, man, I ain't talking to Randy. You can forget that, man. I ain't telling him nothing. I know how he going to look at me. Now, some of you are better. You talk to people, but you don't talk to God. I talk to God. I won't talk to people. Neither of them are right. It's a pathway to meekness. Let me just tell you why. So as I speak it out authentically and I say it, I'm real with God. I'm real with him. Hey, 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 here's what's up. And then I'm still. God promises something crazy. And the peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your heart. Peace is a protector. The word guard is a military term. Peace that surpasses understanding. Now, I'm thinking about this. Me and my daughter's last night talking at the table. She's talking psychology, and I keep thinking about how much the scriptures is now confirming psychology. Right? Or I should say the other way around, how much the scriptures confirm psychology. 
you know, the scripture's already saying what psychology's just figuring out. So here's the interesting thing. When you have somebody in the gap with you, you have the capacity to be in a stressful situation and breathe. Now, the science of that is this. If I'm in a stressful situation and I'm alone, I'm, I'm, I'm viewing the situation from my alligator part of my brain. And my alligator brain saying, dude, it ain't good. We about to die here, man. You got to do something. Okay? What God's promising is, now, the word there is mis- is confusing because it says surpasses all understanding. But I'm going to challenge you to think about this. It isn't logical understanding. It's limbic understanding. Survival understanding. Threat-based understanding. What, what he's saying there is the peace of God gives you the capacity to move beyond threat-based thinking. Does that make sense? It isn't the peace that gives me the mysteries to God. No. It's the peace that gives me the capacity to move past present threat, perceived threat. Because the difference in emotionally is if I can be in a dangerous place, but if I don't perceive it as dangerous, it's not dangerous. I could take Randy to my neighborhood. Randy perceives danger because some dude's going to give him some beef because they don't know. And if he got the wrong color on, he comes in his blue jacket in, in parts of my neighborhood that's blue, that's red. He's in trouble. Dudes are starting to say stuff to him. He's looking at me saying, like, what did I do? I'm like, dude, why'd you wear the blue jacket here, man? <laughs> well, I, I was just, just my South Dakota coat. I'm like, man, come on, man. You should have talked to me about that. Right? But when I'm in my neighborhood, I'm not anxious because I know how to cope. And when I go to other hoods, like I drive around, sometimes I'm surprised. Oh, no, nah, I'm in the hood. Then my my thinking cap comes on. My anxiety goes down, and I know how to operate. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus is getting beat. He didn't, he did not feel the, the beating. He just didn't perceive threat. Y'all, y'all, really? You think this is it? For real. Like, you killing me here. But I'm telling you what my father's going to do. I know what he's going to do. And three days from now, y'all going to trip because I'm going to be doing this. Yo, what's up, dude? I'm here. <laughs> I'm back, man. I'm back. And they're going to be looking at it like, what? And they make up stories like, oh, no, he never died. And, you know. But the disciples know because they seen him on the cross all beat up. And when Jesus showed back up, he didn't look like that anymore. That's why people didn't recognize him. Because if you were saying, okay, Jesus coming back, you expect that bloody dude with maybe healed up scars to come back. You're looking for him. I ain't looking for a smooth-faced Jew coming back again with just a few evidences of the. So he showed up. I'm like, hey, what's up, Randy? <laughs> I didn't even know that was Jesus. Like, how you doing? I'm mistaken for Randy, but it ain't Randy. It's Jesus. So the peace will guard your heart, which means it will give you a, pers- a, a frame for you to start to move from perceived threat to, I don't know what's going to happen, but maybe God got me. This is not good. But maybe he got me somehow. Maybe he will either calm the storm or he'll calm me. Amen? That's the pathway to. Come on back up, Mike. 
ask the worship team to come up as they do so. Um, meekness is about the ability to wait perseveringly and respond gently. That's those two things. And those things come on the far side of having something in place that can guard our heart, keeping the thoughts from inundating into us. And so that's why I put the five steps in the back. I think it represents a process. It begins with being real and touching the things that you feel, the things that you think, not pretending. Be real and be still. No matter where you are and what you're feeling and what you're going through, God says, I will never leave you and forsake you, and I will be exalted among the nations and on earth. It doesn't matter if Republicans are in office or Democrats. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, God is in control. He will accomplish his purposes. So to be real, be still, and breathe freely. Exhale your concerns and inhale your commitment. You have to do both. Exhale concerns. Tell him. Inhale his commitment to the things that he promises you. And, and what he indicates is that his peace will guard your heart and mind. You find an ability to persevere without running other people down or building yourself up. Find the ability to respond gently. Let me pray. Father, we've looked at meekness and what it is and, and how we go about it. I guess, would you lead us on the path of meekness? That's the path that leads to representing you, having influence that is from you. It's not harsh. It's gentle. Help us to be like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.